Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by his brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And we're also going to read the first two verses of 1 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Megan and I have had the opportunity in our nine and a half years of marriage to live in four houses. Um, in two of those houses, uh, there have been trees in the front yard of those houses. Um, now, the types of trees that are in the front yard really matter. Uh, so, in the, in the front yard of our houses, there are these, these kind of cute little, little trees that were in the front yard that were kind of ornamental, uh, but they... They provided a great deal of problems for us. They're, they're called Bradford pear trees. I don't know if you guys have heard of those trees or not before. Uh, if you have one in your yard, it's only a matter of when it breaks or you have to cut it down. It's just the way it goes. Uh, the Bradford pear tree uh, was a tree that, that people like to use because it grows so quickly. It grows so quickly. I mean, the lifespan of the tree, it'll, it'll be almost a full-size tree within 10 years, but it only lasts 15 to 20 years before it splits, breaks, falls on your car or your house, or hopefully not your children playing in the front yard. It's just what it does. The Bradford pear tree uh, is pretty useless uh, other than those 10 or 15 quick years that you get to look at it grow. And the issue with the Bradford pear tree is that it's not rooted well. It's, it's, it's top heavy. It doesn't, it, it, its roots cannot hold its branches. The Bradford pear tree deteriorates. And, and I would uh, propose to you that churches can do the same thing. Churches can do the exact same thing where they become so focused on what the church looks like on the outside that the roots that are underneath the ground cannot hold the weight of the fruit that they want to bear. So uh, my aim for us today in this series, well, today and in this series over the next 11 weeks, is to talk about what it looks like for us to be a healthy church, for us to be a rooted church. We are a church plant uh, that has been gathering corporately uh, for just shy of two years now, about 23 months. And uh, we are in, uh, over the next uh, several months, in the process of what, we're, uh, what our denomination calls particularizing, which means that we come out from under our sending church, and you... Uh, as the covenant partners of New City Church, nominate elders to serve and to lead you. And so this is a crucial series for us as a church because we are choosing who's going to lead our church, who's going to shepherd uh, its members, its people. And so uh, in light of that, we're going to be looking at the book of 1 Timothy over the next 11 weeks. Uh, and, and ironically enough, we started our church uh, by going through the book of Ephesians. 
Uh, so it's a letter by Paul written to the church at Ephesus. First Timothy is a, is a letter from Paul written to Timothy about the church at Ephesus and about how to grow that church, to make it mature, to make it rooted. So we're in for a treat. It's going to be a good time uh, as we look at that today. If you've got a Bible, I want you to quickly turn to uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, uh, verses 7 and 8. Uh, in this, Jeremiah, uh, prophet um, to Judah, gives us a little bit of instruction uh, about what it looks like to be faithful, especially in times of trial. And he, here's what he does. He gives us this picture of a tree. And he gives, uh, and you'll notice in the picture that he gives us of a tree, he also gives us conditions that surround the tree. Now, uh, our temptation is to focus on the conditions that the tree is in uh, to produce the growth. Uh, but what Jeremiah focuses on is something different. So let's look at it. Uh, Jeremiah 17, verses, uh, actually, I'm going to look at verses 5 through 7, but 7 and 8 will be on the screen. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit now jesus in john 15 gives us this picture that we're going to we're going to look at throughout the course of this series and the aim of every disciple is to bear fruit so what jeremiah says here is that the tree that bears fruit has to be a tree that's rooted well so what we're asking god to do in first timothy is to root us. To root us not on the conditions, on, on uh, not cheap, anecdotal, cultural norms, but to root us in the Word of God. Because the, the Word of God stands no matter what the conditions around us deal us. So we're asking God to do that for us uh, in this series. And the big idea of where we're going today is this. The strongest trees have the deepest roots. So, what's that mean as the church? The strongest churches have the most rooted disciples. So let me pray for us as we just get into this and, and ask God to just illumine us, uh, to illuminate His Word to us that we may hear it. Father, uh, God, I just pray that You would you'd meet us today, that, uh, that those uh, that walked in here today and, and maybe had a lot on their mind, uh, um, Father, I pray that you would give them grace to be able to set those things aside and to hear your word clearly. And I pray that your spirit would pierce our hearts as we look at your words that you've given us. So Jesus, we ask all of that uh, in your name. Amen. Uh, Randy Pope, uh, who is the lead pastor over at Perimeter Church, told me something that was crucially important uh, as we started New City Church. He said, he said, Ryan, if you focus on growth, It'll be really hard for you to get healthy. But if you focus on health, you can't help but grow. Because a healthy church grows. A healthy tree bears fruit. And so, it's not that we don't want to grow as a church. We just don't want to be top-heavy. And so what have we been doing over the last uh, four years as a church family? We've been trying to figure out what it means to really make disciples who know how to make 
disciples. And that's where uh, we uh, meet uh, Paul and Timothy in their exchange this morning. Uh, So the question is, how do we live faithfully as the family of God together? I would propose to you that the theme verse of 1 Timothy is 1 Timothy 3.15, and the Scriptures say this, I have written, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, that people ought to know how to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. So, so what's he mean? Is he giving us a list of do's and don'ts for corporate worship services? Not so much. I mean, there's a little bit of that in there. Like, how, how, do, we, how do we behave? How do we interact in corporate worship? What he's saying is that there, um, there is a connection between orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Right teaching and right living. Uh, gospel word leads to gospel deeds. Uh, and and And... It's really hard to have right living if you don't have right teaching. And, it's, and, it's, and vice versa. It's, it's difficult. Those two always go together. And so what Paul is telling Timothy is this. Timothy, they don't just need good teaching. They need your life. The world around you, the city of Ephesus, they need your life. They need your life lived out in light of the Gospel. For all the world to see. Practice what you preach, brother. Go and proclaim the Gospel with your words and with your life. Paul says in Colossians 1 in another letter that he writes, uh, he says this in verses 28 and 29, that, that, uh, that his aim is to present everyone mature in Christ. You have that same idea. That the goal of every disciple is not to remain an infant. For, for the lifespan of, 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 of however long the Lord gives us, but to mature in Him. So this is my deep hope for us today, that we, would be, uh, we wouldn't be Bradford Pear Trees Church, that we would be oaks of righteousness. As, as Isaiah, 61 said, uh, Isaiah 61 says, the planting of the Lord that He may be glorified. So here's where we're going today with 1 Timothy 1. Uh, I want to I, I set us up with the historical context of where 1 Timothy's coming from. So I want... In, in the book of Acts, you could basically fit all of the, the, past, all the, the epistles that Paul writes within that narrative of the book of Acts. So I want to show you where that is in the context of it. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about the spiritual context where he says that, that Timothy is a true child in the faith. What does that mean? I want to unpack that a little bit. Context matters. Context matters. Imagine this. You are sitting in... Uh, your algebra class in high school, and you look down and you pick up a note. And you know what that note says? That note says, baby, if you were words on a page, you'd be called fine print. Love, your boo. You pick that letter up. Context matters, does it not? I mean, who's the letter from? Is it from your teacher? That'd be kind of weird. Is it, from, uh, is it from the girl you've been crushing on? That you've been, I mean, you've been hoping you could ask her to prom and she might say yes? I mean, who's it to? Who's it from? Who's it to? All of these things matter in a letter. And so today what we've done is we've intercepted a letter. We've intercepted a letter from Paul to Timothy, his disciple, about how to effectively help the church in Ephesus grow. So here's a little bit of the context of what's happened. Uh, Paul is uh, converted in Acts chapter 9. Um, he is set on fire by the Gospel in the mission of making Jesus known. Not only in Jerusalem, not only in all Judea, 
and Samaria, but to the ends of the world. Uh, before uh, before you know, tra- modern transportation, Paul travels 15,000 miles. Think about that. To make the Gospel known. 15,000 miles. And in each place, he proclaims the Gospel. And he raises up disciples. And those disciples end up forming churches. Interesting. So, he raised up indigenous leaders and, and hand the churches over and he'd keep going. In Acts chapter 14, Paul is in Lystra and Derby, two cities, and he preaches, and after this he's stoned. Uh, but despite the rejection, there was evidently a lot of fruit that was born there. Because this is where Timothy was from. Timothy was, was from those, that area, those cities. And most people believe that Timothy was converted under Paul's preaching. Uh, in Acts chapter 16, Paul comes back to Lystra where we learn about a disciple there named Timothy. Uh, so we, we kind of figure out what happens there. And this is like four years later. So this is around A.D. 51. Paul first came there in A.D. 47. So Timothy has been a Christian for probably four years or so. Uh, and, and let's read just quickly Acts chapter 16, verses 1-5 through 5, so you can get a picture of kind of what's happened there. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. Now get this, you hear a little bit about Timothy's family makeup here. Uh, He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, the furthest thing from a believer. So he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So he wanted to show them that he was serious. He was really a disciple, and so Timothy... Uh, you know, humbled himself and, 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 and kind of did the deed there. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Now, I want you to notice something about Timothy's life. Timothy's been a Christian for four years or so. Paul comes back on the scene to, to that area, to that region. And how does Paul know that Timothy is kind of the real deal when it comes to following Jesus? Others tell Paul about that. The brothers tell Paul, hey, Timothy, you, you gotta, this guy's a protege. Look at this guy. I want to stop and just kind of pause on that for a second. Um, really, as Christians, we, there, there is no need for self-commendation for us. There is a temptation that exists when, within each and every one of us to make ourselves known. And uh, according to, to what the Scriptures kind of teach us, uh, th- that's a pretty shallow way uh, for a mature believer to live. Because if we're walking out our identity in Christ, others see that and commend us. We don't have to prop ourselves up in front of others. So, so what does Timothy do? Well, Timothy starts to serve in the church. He starts to get his hands dirty. He starts to, to, to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus better. It's likely that he invited men into his life to help him follow Jesus. He took initiative of his own spiritual development. That's key for us to understand. Because we live in a culture that says, you need to feed me everything. You need to come after me. You need to chase me. But in the Scriptures we see, and we can look again at, at uh, another Scripture, uh, where, where disciples of Jesus are chasing after Jesus. They really want to know uh, Jesus. I, I'm going to turn just quickly to John 2, 37-39 and read this for us. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, 
What are you seeking? So these disciples are following after Jesus. What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And there they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So disciples of Jesus, they figured out, they kind of make it happen. They fall, they put initiative into following Jesus. Friends, we have to take ownership of our own maturity and progress in Christ. We have to do that. It is God's aim for us to mature, but we have to own that. It doesn't just happen. I mean, if we don't teach our kids how to grow up uh, and, and how to handle things and have responsibilities, they never mature. We have to own that part of it. And, and this is just kind of an aside. In, in, four, in the last four weeks of this series, New City, we're going to be nominating our own elders uh, to, to, to go through some training and to be equipped to, to serve you. Now, now, the men that we nominate ought not to be people that we think would be good elders. The men that we nominate ought to be men that are already doing the work of an elder. They're doing it unofficially. They're just naturally shepherding people. They're naturally serving people. They're naturally leaning toward being good teachers and all of those things. We don't need to, 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 to prop up men that we think might have that gift. We need to look for the people that are already doing that work right under our nose. And those are the men that we need leading uh, our church. So we pick back up in Acts 17-20. through 20, And Timothy is now going with Paul. In Acts 16, Paul scooped him up and they begin traveling together. Now, uh, 1 Timothy is written in the mid-60s. Guys, this is nearly 20 years after Paul and Timothy first met. 20, nearly 20 years that Paul and Timothy, Timothy has been discipled by Paul. Think about that. Think about that length of time where he's been able to grow and to learn from Paul. Now, that doesn't mean that he was just kind of sitting on the sidelines that whole time. He's engaged in ministry. But he, was, he, he always had this, this mentor in his life that was discipling him. You've, most of you have probably heard of the concept of having a Paul and a Timothy in your life. This is where this comes from. We have someone ahead of us on the journey that's mentoring us, that's pouring into us, and then we have others that we pour into as well. This is the healthy rhythm of a disciple of Jesus. To have a Paul and a Timothy in your life. Now let me tell you a little bit about Ephesus. Ephesus is this major city. Uh, so, if the, so kind of the, the line of reasoning goes like this. If the church is going to have impact in the world in this day and age, it's got to impact Ephesus. Ephesus is a target city where, where the Gospel has to go forth here. And so there's this story in Acts 19 where uh, the Gospel has come to Ephesus and it's kind of uprooting the cultural norms of Ephesus. There's these seven sons of a high priest named Sceva. And, uh, and they, they, they think that the Gospel is a formula. That it can just kind of be reproduced and you can just kind of toss it out there and it doesn't matter if you have the Holy Spirit or not. And so they begin trying to cast out demons uh, in the name of Jesus. And I love what the Scripture says because it says, uh, the, the, the man that's demon-possessed says, Jesus, I, I know. Paul, I've heard about. Uh, but I have no idea who you are, basically. And the Scriptures say that the, the man who was demon-possessed leapt on them and mastered them all, and they walked away naked and bleeding. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And so what's this do? This, this shows people that there is, a, there is a spiritual 
force in the city of Ephesus that cannot be produced by man. Supernatural. Bringing dead people to life. Awakening the spiritual dead folks in the city. And so this guy Demetrius is a silversmith. So he's made his living making and crafting idols his entire life. And he's gotten pretty rich at it. Demetrius is frustrated because they've just had this big book-burning party out in the middle of the city. And uh, they've, they've burned tons of money worth of books. And they're all these kind of sorcery and magic books. And Demetrius gets his brothers together and he says, hey, let's, uh, let's stick it to these guys, basically. Let's push them out of the city. Let's, write, let's kill these guys. And so Paul leaves the city at the encouragement of the disciples. But before he leaves... Here's what he says to those elders in Ephesus. I want you to hear the heartfelt love and desire for these men in Acts 20, verses 28 through 30. He says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce Wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So they're on this beach. Paul's getting ready to set sail for the next city because they've kind of pushed him out. And Paul says, look, hey guys, among yourselves there's going to arise false teachers. And they're like wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. You got to get those guys out of there. You got to uproot. You got to know the truth. You got to live the truth to combat this darkness that's going to arise within you. This is the context that this letter was written. And as a reminder, he's telling Timothy they don't just need a good preacher in Ephesus, they need a man that's going to live this thing out. And Timothy, I think that's you. You're my true son in the faith. So that's the. That's the historical context that we're looking at here. So let's turn to the spiritual context now. Who is Timothy? Who is this joker? Well, he's not Paul. We know that pretty quickly. Uh, So for one, he's younger. Uh, For two, uh, he's pretty timid. Uh, We we learn that in the Scriptures that that he's, he's concerned about the way that people will see him as the pastor of this church because he's a little younger. He's a little more timid. He has a little more timid temperament which can appear weak in a high-powered city like Ephesus, right? Not only that, he's got these physical issues. Paul, Paul tells him in this letter, take a little wine because you have these stomach issues. You've got, these GI, you've got this GI deal that you're dealing with, and, and, and I know that you think that that might kind of disqualify you because you're not as healthy, but I still think you're the guy for the job. He's a man. He's a three-dimensional man. A real man. A lot of times we look at the Apostle Paul and we, we look at this kind of super apostle guy and we think he wasn't real. Timothy is real. He's got, he's got the same junk that we deal with. Timothy is real. He's a three-dimensional guy. He's, he's, a, he's not a fictitious superhero sometimes that we make Paul out to be. So it's interesting because this is the guy for the job. The guy that appears probably pretty weak is the guy for the job in a city that's pretty powerful like Ephesus. Let's read 1 Timothy 1 and 2 again just to refresh our memory as we look at it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command 
of our God and of, and of Christ Jesus our Savior, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Where I want to camp out at today is this, this phrase, my true child. In the Greek, it has this idea of a genuine son. So not an illegitimate son, but a genuine son. Now Paul only calls two disciples this in the Bible. Have you ever noticed all the names that are at the end of the books? Romans and Galatians and all these greetings to these people. These are all disciples. All people he's led to Christ, given ministry to, helped follow Jesus. But he only calls two people this. He calls Timothy and he calls Titus, his true children in the faith. Now, what does he do with Timothy and Titus? He sends them to the two most difficult cities to be a Christian in. And not only that, to be pastors of the churches there. He sends Timothy to Ephesus. He sends Titus to Crete. It's a, it's a godless city. These are his true children in the faith. Paul has this, he has this paradigm that character really matters. And you don't have to be polished. You don't have to be well put together. What you've got to be is faithful. You've got to be faithful. And these are the disciples that he says are his genuine children in the faith. So Timothy was also from a mixed marriage. We looked at that in Acts 16. His father was Greek, furthest thing away from a Christian. All, you know, polytheism, God's everywhere. And his mother. And we also learned that his grandmother are the ones that really shaped him in the gospel. In the scriptures in First Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 1.5. Paul commends uh, Lois and Eunice for their labor in Timothy's life. And I want to pause and I want to talk about this for a second. Because I think discipleship starts in the home. In fact, I would, I would venture to say that the best way to view our relationship with our children as disciplers to them. Let me define discipleship for you real quick. Here's my definition of discipleship. It's co-laboring alongside the Holy Spirit in the lives of a few with the intention of imparting one's life and the Gospel in such a way as to see them become mature and equipped followers of Christ. Get this, committed to reproduction. That's the key. Committed to reproduction. So, so for parents, I, I want you to think about that for a second. This past week, Megan was telling me of an epiphany that she had with our kids. You know, as a mom that has four kids, you can imagine uh, there are times when, when mom wants to get away from the kids and have a little alone time. You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen? Uh, yeah, there they are. There's the moms. They're like, can I just get a little space? I mean, I can't go anywhere without you guys. You're always in my shadow. Megan tells me this week, you know, the Lord just showed me, she says to me, uh, this is exactly what I would hope for out of any disciple that I would ever have. That they would follow me wherever I go. That they would seek to learn from me. That they would watch the ways in which I uh, endure hardship and live life. In fact, Jesus says, unless you turn and become like children, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. Do you, do you think He may be inferred that Children have an idea about discipleship that's even more healthy than ours. Because they always want to be near mom and dad. They want to be with us. That's what discipleship is. So I want to put something else in front of you here. 
Uh, there's something to be said for people um, that, that kind of just approach each thing that's put in front of them each day faithfully. There's something more valuable um, in, in that obedience and in that faithfulness uh, than even in the, the strongest of personalities that can command a room. Because after all, I think about Lois and Eunice. I mean, do you think, uh, you know, Lois, the first Christian in her family, Paul, or Timothy's grandmother, do you think that she ever thought that she would birth uh, Eunice, who would then birth uh, Paul's like, like primo disciple? Do you think she ever thought that was coming down the line? And the, 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 the physical and spiritual family tree that was a part of her story? No, she didn't. But she went about the hard work of laboring in the lives of her children for the sake of the Gospel. Grandparents, don't for one second think that your role is just to feed our kids a bunch of sugar and send them home to us. Because you are good at that. You have a spiritual role as well. And God is using that in and through you. Guys, we have no idea what God is, the, the, the Holy Spirit is doing with these kids that are down the hall. No idea. Who knows who's going to come out of New City Church? But I know this, we are committed to laboring in the lives of our children in such a way as to see them become mature and devoted followers of Jesus and reproducing that in the world. That might be the greatest thing we do as a church. Cyril of Jerusalem, early church father, uh, is one of the first guys that ever implemented this idea of a catechism. And I love the quote that, he, that, he, uh, th that we get from him. He says this, Let me compare the catechizing to a building. Unless we methodically bind and joint the whole structure together, we shall have leaks and dry rot, and all our previous exertions will be wasted. If you're unfamiliar with the idea of a catechism, it's a, it's a quick question and answer format to teach strong biblical truth to young, moldable minds. And uh, our tradition uh, very much believes in catechizing, but the, the concept is broader than that. It's this. Hey, we've got to think, think forward in a, in, a, in a better way to help shape them even when they're young. We don't just wait until they become teenagers and then hope they get the gospel one day. They are picking up bits and pieces every single day of your life. Every single day they see you. Even if you don't have kids and you're part of New City Church, you're around kids because we got a lot of them. You have a role in this. And this is the best way that we learn what discipleship actually uh, is. So back to Paul and Timothy now. He calls him a true son in the faith, meaning he's genuine. He's a, he's a replica. He's the real deal. He's a true son. He's not like this false teacher that Paul talks about later in the letter where he says uh, he's a false teacher uh, by the name of Demas. No. Uh, on the counter side of that, Timothy's a true son. He's, 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 he's almost a more true son than if he were Paul's own flesh and blood because they have the same Father in heaven. A Father's Father. God the Father has fathered them all and He brings them together. And Paul gets something about discipleship that we often miss. And, and don't miss this, guys. That the goal of every single Christian is to reproduce spiritual Christians. Spiritual children. That's the goal of every single Christian. And you know what that does? It puts us all on the line a little bit, doesn't it? Because we take inventory and we say, ooh, I don't know if I'm really helping produce any spiritual children by the way that I live. 
And it causes us to be a little bit quiet. And so here's the invitation today. Let's figure it out. God's not done with us. What's it look like for you to put people in your life and live life with folks in such a way where you expose yourself in the context of community so that you can be shaped and formed more into the image of Jesus? Paul writes this to Timothy in his second letter, 2 Timothy 2.2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And listen to this. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. So you've heard this, Timothy. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul talks about three, three generations of discipleship here. He's thinking long term. Church, we are always one generation away from losing the gospel. Do you know that? We're always one generation away. Always one generation away from losing the gospel. And so what, I, what I'm hoping that God will do in this series is that we will, we will kind of take this idea of discipleship and, and, and reproducing disciples, the, the taboo idea of that and how difficult it is, and we would just see it as very normal, everyday, ordinary lives. And we would see that, hey, if you have no concept of what that means, humble yourself and get in community with other people and just start figuring it out. Start feeling your way forward. If you're well-equipped and you've been discipled and you're sitting on the sidelines, get in the game. Our city needs you. Reproduction's always been God's plan. Think back to, to Genesis as we close this thing out. So the cultural mandate and the Great Commission are linked. Uh, the Great Commission, which is in Matthew 28, which is to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's the Great Commission. That's an extension of the cultural mandate in Genesis 2. Okay, think about this. In Genesis, um, Genesis 2, God commands uh, Adam and Eve uh, to take dominion over the world. And what's He say to them? Be fruitful. Be fruitful. And multiply. Go and bear fruit with your life. And He's speaking about physical descendants. Go and fill the world with people. Well, we come to our father Abraham in Genesis, and he's, ma he's made this promise. This is after sin has entered the world. He's been made this promise. And this promise uh, is that he'll, you know, that he'll be the father of a mighty nation. Uh, that that he'll, his family will, will become the nation of Israel. But the only problem is he can't have any children. And so he is in his upper 90s and things are looking pretty dim and he births Isaac. And so it begins. The grace of God gives them the strength to birth this son, this descendant. I would propose to you that what is happening in uh, Matthew 28 and in the New Testament is that we now have the power by the Holy Spirit to birth spiritual children. It has always been God's plan to fill the earth with His people. And you and I have that same power according to Romans 8 because Jesus uh, has been raised from the dead and that same power dwells inside of us. We've just got to take responsibility over what God has given us and go and make disciples. Friends, the, the strongest trees have uh, the deepest roots. And God has been so gracious to us to give us His Son, to give us new life, to give us grace.
we can fill the earth with his people. We just got to do our part. Jesus invites us to participate in his work. So no matter where you're at today, the invitation is to come. Just like Jesus told those first disciples, come and you'll see. Come and you'll see about me. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that, um, that you have been so gracious to us to invite us to participate in your work in the world. We're thankful for this letter uh, that we've intercepted between Paul and Timothy and, and all that it's going to teach us. But Father, at the thrust of it is this idea of discipleship. Lord, when we choose to enter into community with others with the intention of seeing disciples made, we're setting aside our, our notions of instant gratification and saying we believe there's something better on down the road. And so, we're going to refuse the, the instant gratification and choose the long-lasting work of the Holy Spirit through reproducing disciples. God, help us do that. We're giving it our best go here. But Father, we need everybody in the game if we want to be a strong, rooted, and mature church. So Father, we, we thank You and we give thanks uh, for Your Word this morning. It's in Jesus' name, amen.